Thank you very much, Bill, for leading us, uh, as always, but especially in those uh, past couple of songs. We're thankful for your presence here this beautiful, uh, overcast, cool, almost spring-like uh, Sunday morning, but we're glad that you're here today. And I hope that you will come back tonight. It is the start of a new uh, series, I guess, for lack of a better word, that we're doing on the fourth Sunday nights, um, unless there's something unusual that happens. Generally speaking, uh, in the non-summer months on the fourth Sunday night, we'll have sword sharpening, is what we're calling it, where it's the chance for us to open up the podium, the stage, the pulpit area to some of you gentlemen to uh, prepare a, a sermon for us. It's Always on Wednesday nights, uh, you guys will do a, a quick devotional, maybe two to five or six minutes or so, but this is an opportunity to um, really dig deeper into the Word of God, and uh, anyone who's ever taught a Bible class, for example, can tell you, you learn more preparing to teach than you ever do as a student, and you always end up preparing and learning more than you ever end up teaching, so you end up with just all this extra knowledge that, I promise you, doesn't go to waste. You'll be glad that you that you have it. So this is just the opportunity to for you guys who've done those kind of devotionals and you've you know worked up a five or six minute thing to double, maybe even triple that amount of time, uh, preach 12 to 20 minutes or so uh, and give us a sermon. And you will be thankful for it. We'll always be glad to hear it, but I guarantee you will be glad uh, that you put in the work to prepare something like that. And I promise you, you'll end up with more material up here will ever come out of here, and you'll just file it away, and you'll preach it some other time. So I say all that to say this, if you have not yet signed up for that list, uh, on that list that has uh, the men who are going to preach on the four Sunday nights, please do so. I, know, I think the list actually has several names on it, but uh, we want to hear from you. And I just want to say this, and then we'll get started with the sermon. Uh, if you are an elder, we want you to sign up on that list. If you're a deacon, we want you to sign up on that list. Just about anybody qualified scripturally to speak on that list, short of your preachers, I want to see your name on that list, gentlemen, because I want to hear from you. So by all means, do that. You'd be glad you did. All right, this is the last uh, sermon in this series <coughs> Excuse me, of sermons that we started back at the beginning of this month. The title that we've kind of loosely assigned to it is The Healer of broken hearts. We've been talking kind of all month long about the human heart, and we've been making some applications from what we learn and what we know about the physical blood-pumping organ in our bodies. So we've talked at the beginning of this month in sermon number one how the heart provides for us several important functions. It does certain duties that if it, we, if it did not do, then we would die, and primarily those revolve around the blood that it produces. But we didn't just focus on that because this is not a medical lecture. This is a sermon. This is, a, this is about learning about God. So we, we started with talking about how the blood works for us in five distinct and important ways. But then we just flipped that and we noticed how the blood of Jesus similarly does five important spiritual things for us. And then from there, the week following, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the human heart has various areas that are designated and well-defined. It has certain departments, if you will, but in the same way that the heart has those well-defined areas that all must work in harmony lest the heart die, the spiritual heart of man has certain specific areas of function that each must work in harmony, not one out of balance more or less important than the other. And as long as they're all in balance, the heart will be as God wants it to be. And then last week we talked about some diseases some, some debilitating diseases that could kill us if left untreated, and just some 
annoying nuances that if left untreated eventually may become fatal. But we talked about various things that we might do to our heart. Things that may just happen to our heart. Problems that may be genetic. Problems that may be self-inflicting. But if left untreated can become fatal. And in the same way, we notice how the spiritual heart of man can become infected with disease. Sometimes self-inflicted, sometimes environment-inflicted, whatever it is. If we're not careful, if we don't take care of this, I keep pointing at my physical heart, but we're talking about the spiritual heart. If we don't take care of that inner essence of who we are, it can become fatal, which is far more devastating to us than what happens to our physical heart and our physical body. So that's three sermons. Five duties of blood, four departments of the heart, three kinds of diseases, two kinds of fatal diseases. But that's, the sermon series thus far has been very uh, personal. I don't mean me, like me personal. I mean, it's been, it's been, when you make the application, you have to think about yourself. What's your heart? How could your heart be affected? Each individual heart. There's another kind of heart that I want to focus on this morning. Have you ever gone to visit a congregation I hope it's not someone here who's visiting today that'll say this, but have you ever gone to visit a congregation and within two, three, four, five minutes, you get a vibe and you think, I don't think these people like each other very much. I'm just going to get through the day and then that's going to be it for me. Have you ever gone to a congregation where you just get a feel for their personality? Congregations have a personality. I've heard our elders talk about this, how the, our eldership has its own personality, though it has eight distinct personalities within them. The collective unit of the eldership has its own personality. This congregation of between three and four hundred people, three and four hundred individual people with their own individual personalities, and yet collectively, we have a vibe. Now, we're in it so much we probably don't appreciate it, we don't notice it, but it's there. And I hope and I think it's a good one here, but it's not always the case. The point I'm trying to make is a congregation is made up of individuals who have individual hearts. I'm not talking about this one. And it has a collective heart as well. What is the heart? How is the heart of the North Heights Church of Christ doing? We have been talking about the human heart and making the spiritual application. Let's talk about the human heart and make a congregational application as we close this sermon series out. We're going to talk this morning about the determination of the heart. Why that? Why that word? I'll tell you at the end. But let's talk about some things that we can understand about the human heart first. Can the human heart be traumatized? Now that's a word that we use in a very emotional way. We talk about being traumatized in an emotional sense. But I mean trauma in the sense of a sudden onset of an attack. A sudden, unexpected, shocking jolt of pain or hardship. Can that happen to the heart? Can the heart, be, uh, can the heart undergo trauma, a sudden shocking thing that hurts it? Absolutely. You get into a car accident, something like that can happen to the heart. The heart can be traumatized. Can my emotional, spiritual, metaphorical heart within me be traumatized? Yes. Can the congregation's heart of a, of a church be traumatized? Can we as a collective body bound together by the love of Jesus, can we experience collective trauma that hurts us? Yes. The question is how do we handle them? What do we do? Let me offer you three kinds of traumas. The solution to which is we all come together to kneel as one. Not as 350 or whatever of us, but as one body of believers. 
And I don't just mean, even though there will be a lot of congregational application, I don't just mean the body of believers that are confined within these walls. I mean the brethren of the Lord's kingdom, universal. All over the world where Christians are, collectively we can be traumatized. Collectively we can experience a sudden, shocking, unexpected, dangerous, horrible thing. What do we need to do? Do we all just need to retreat to our own little corners? No, we need to come together. We need to kneel as one. The first of which is division, which sounds kind of oxymoronic. How are we all going to come together? How can we all together experience division? Well, sometimes you walk into a church building and there's a vibe. And that one heart that you feel, that one vibe that you feel, you feel is splitting in two. Whether it should or shouldn't, and I can promise you the answer is it shouldn't. I have known of congregations that didn't used to uh, coexist. They were over here was one congregation, over here was another congregation. They had the same sign outside their door. They preached basically the same kind of gospel sermons, but this one was over here, and three blocks over, this one was over there. And at some point along the way, they, somebody got the right idea, which is why are we over here and me over there? Why don't we all come together? Why don't we join together? Because we believe the same thing. We, we teach the same thing. We shop at the same supermarket and say hello to each other in the same way. Why don't we all worship together? Because we are all brethren. And together, think how much good we could do to this community. So they did. It lasted six months. They hired a brand new preacher to be the new minister. So they didn't bring in this guy's preacher to preach to both. or that guy's, They brought in a new preacher to preach to both halves of this new congregation. And this church sat over here, and this church sat over there, and there was just an empty aisle, and he would have to do like this, and every time he talked, he'd turn over and he'd see the scowls, they would fade. When he started talking to them, he'd pivot over, and the scowls would fade. Because they were like, you gotta look at me, don't look at those people, you gotta look at me, don't look at... This was a church that for all practical purposes had no reason to be together. But you know what? They should have been together, because they were all brethren. They didn't know how to be together. They didn't know how to get along together, though they should have. You would look at that like as a mother and you would say, you boys need to separate. But God says, you boys need to come together and you need to fix whatever is going on in a physical sense, in a worldly sense, in an emotional sense, so that you can do the work of the kingdom together because God wants his people together. Division is a shock to the heart. Division is a dangerous thing that could kill a heart. What's the solution? Look at 1 Corinthians 1.10. A verse I know you know, but let's read it. And as you read it with me, I want you to notice how many times Paul uses collective words, grouped together kind of words, not single individual words, but plural words. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. In the same mind and in the same body. Listen again to what he says. I beseech you, brethren, that's a plural word, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all collectively speak the same thing collectively, that there be no division. That's a negative phrase, but it's the same idea. No division among you, but that you be not just loosely stitched together, not just haphazardly stuck in the same room together. Not these two halves can't get along, so we're going to put a giant t-shirt on them until they do, when really they're just under, they're kicking each other like siblings do. No, no, no. But that you be not joined together, but perfectly, completely, totally joined together. And then he defines what that means, the same mind and in the same, same judgment, the same conclusions, the same understandings. 
God does not want his people. Whether it's two of you or 200 of you, he doesn't want these two brethren to say, well, I'm going to go this way, and you're going to go that way, and we'll just go our own separate ways. And what, you're going to meet up again in heaven? No. You must be together here, and thus you will be together there. And if you can't get along together here, what do you think it's going to be like in heaven? Because I promise you there's no referees trying to resolve all your disputes there. Because up there is for people who get along down here. Paul's solution is for you all to come together. He doesn't say you figure it out and you figure it out. And then when you both, no, he says you come together and stop being divided. Stop being split. Stop being in disagreement. It doesn't mean you can't have different opinions about the color of the carpet. We're not talking about things as petty as that. But that which is spoken is spoken. And it's not up to you to debate. Come together, unite, love, which that's a few chapters later in this book, and just get along. Now, what's the solution? How do you do that? What's the first step? There's a thousand steps. What's the first step? Come together and kneel down collectively. Hold hands and ask God to forgive you of your sin of division. Come together collectively. Hold hands and ask God to help you learn how to get along with your brethren so that you can both read this book together, help each other get to heaven together, and live together forever and ever and ever. But if you don't do that, if you allow division to fester and stew then what started out as a sudden, shocking, traumatic thing, these people all just want to go over there, it will fester and stew and it will kill the heart of a congregation. What's another thing that can traumatize a congregation? If this was a sermon I was preaching in 2019, this would be a completely hypothetical point, talking about disease. I would be very broad and very general, but we don't need to do that because we have lived through 2020 and beyond. We are now, I think, Lord willing, in the post-COVID era. There will always be some new thing. There'll be some variant. There'll be some whatever. But we, everything has been looked at and is being looked at in a totally different way now post-2020. Do we understand how a congregation can be traumatized by a sudden shocking event where all of a sudden we're all together and the next Sunday none of us are in the same room? We're all in our own homes. We're sitting in our pajamas and our recliners watching the preacher preach from the television screen, which is not how it's supposed to be. Do we know anything about how disease can affect a congregation? Yes, absolutely. What is the solution? Every now and then, maybe, maybe, the government will get us to the right answer. But we're not looking to them for the right answer. We're going to look to the Word of God for the right answer. What is the solution when a congregation is traumatized by a disease? i got a verse for you that doesn't mention diseases, but I'm going to make application. Go to the book of Acts. Look at chapter 4, verses 33 and 34. Acts 4, 33 and 34. Here it is not a physical ailment, sickness, disease. Rather, it's just general, old-school, run-of-the-mill poverty. These brethren are poor. These new Christians don't have the money to provide for themselves. It's a of a type disease, all right? So there's your source for application. Acts 4, starting in verse 33, with great power God gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This talking about the brethren, these new Christians that were mentioned who were just baptized. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold those things and brought the prices of them that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet so that they could all be distributed so that everyone would have their needs met. In other words, here is a person as part of this congregation that has a great need, and I have the means to help that person. It is not Christian to say, well, I'm okay. Sorry that you're not, but I'm taken care of. So you're on your own. No, 
No, no. The attitude has to be, I will sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice so that I can go and take care of you. Even if that makes me go from 100 to 50, I will bring you up from 0 to 50 so that together we're at 50. I will sacrifice for you because that's the word agape. That's what love is. It's not just warm feelings. It is a desire to give of myself so that I have less and you have more. Now make that application in terms of disease. Do you know the 2020 pandemic, plague, whatever you want to call it, is not the first of its kind that has affected even the United States of America. We had the Spanish flu from a century or so before. And do you know what the brethren did during the Spanish flu? Do you know how many of the Lord's people got terribly sick during the Spanish flu? A lot. Do you know why? Because they went house to house taking care of those brethren who were in need and who were sick. Do you know, not long after this was written, I mean, not long, relatively speaking, like 100 years or so after this was written in Acts 4, that the Roman Empire suffered a terrible plague that swept through most of its territory. And do you know quarantine laws were implemented, I mean, a lot more stringently than they were implemented in America, to the point of like death or something if you walked out of your house. Quarantine laws were implemented all over the, the empire to prevent the spread of this plague. Do you know it worked? that the plague did not spread very terribly, but do you know, per capita, one of the largest subgroups of people in the empire that became infected were Christians? Do you know why? Because they knew there was some sick old lady over there suffering and dying, and she wasn't getting help, she wasn't getting treatment. So they would go to her house, a healthy person, to the home of a sick person, to tend to them and aid to them. And they weren't just a sister in Christ or a brother in Christ. They would sacrifice their well-being to go to the homes of lost people, punishing Roman people sometimes to tend to them and to care for them because the Christian heart is, this is a traumatic thing. My impulse is to help. Not to hunker down, not to just take care of myself, but to reach out and do what I can to take care of others. Does a congregation know about trauma, the trauma of a disease? Yes. But what's the answer? Everyone go to their own rooms? No. Everyone come together and pray. And everyone come together and sacrifice whatever we need to do to help each other. One more on this point, and that's death. Does a congregation know the trauma of death, a sudden loss? Does this congregation understand the pain of death, the trauma of a sudden loss? Have we not had times when we have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for someone who was sick and sick and getting sicker, and would occasionally recover, then get sicker, and then finally we leave this world to a reward, and then we have to experience collectively. And I feel that pain, but it's not my spouse. It's not my parent. It's not my child. It's my friend's relative. And yet, that friend of mine is not just a friend of mine. It's a fellow Christian. And so I see them hurting. It makes me hurt. I see them suffering, it makes me suffer. When they have this sudden shock of trauma and pain that comes with death, I feel it. Not to the same extent, obviously. But I still feel it. What's the solution? Leave them alone? Let them grieve on their own? No, we're a family. My heart's hurting. Why would I suffer alone? Your heart's hurting worse than mine. But my heart's hurting because we're part of the same family. We belong to the same body. I don't just mean the North Heights Church of Christ. I mean we are all Christians. We are all part of the same body. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you succeed, I don't go to my room and quietly rejoice for you. I walk up to you and I rejoice with you. Why, was it, why would it be different when there's pain and trauma 
in death. What's the solution? Come together. Because it will be together when we all overcome death. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. I would not have you to be unlearned, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That means Christian death. Don't sorrow like others who have no hope. Because if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then those also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will not go before them that are asleep. Because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and those dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So comfort one another with these words. What is the comfort of these words? Here's my loved one that I'm putting in the ground, and I'm going to live presumably decades more without this person. Where's the comfort? The comfort is in this one word, reunion. Have you ever been to a family reunion where you were the only one there? I mean, to me, that sounds like a great time. But generally speaking, have you ever been to a family reunion when you walk up and you go out to the backyard and there's the barbecue that's grilling and there's all the chairs and there's nobody there but you? That's not a family reunion. That's a you missed the date or something. That's not what it is. A family reunion implies we're all together. And there will be people you haven't seen in a long time there with you that you can reunite with and catch up with. Notice in this text how many times Paul alludes to this separation and reunification. They're away from you now, but we will meet them together in the air. And together forever we'll be with the Lord. The the idea of overcoming and getting through the trauma of death, the solution is collectiveness. Not grieving alone, but grieving together And then, together reunited. And you're going to hold that loved one that you lost a little bit tighter than I will. You'll hold on to them a little bit closer than I will. But we're grieving together because we're a family together. Our heart is traumatized together. We will reunite with them together. And we will rejoice together. That's the solution. It's not individualism. It's collectivism. Because we are a kingdom of believers with one heart. That's three kinds of traumas that can suddenly shock a heart. What's the solution? Come together as one. Let me give you two kinds of pain. Can the heart be pained? I think the word is angina, but it might be angina, which sounds like my aunt Gina, but I think it's angina is the word. It means a sudden pain in the heart. I don't know the cause of it. It could be medical release, uh, medic- medication you're taking that you're reacting to. It could be a heart attack you're about to have. But your heart can have a sudden pain, a sharp stabbing pain in your heart. It needs to be taken care of. You need to see someone about that. A congregation can feel pain in its collective heart. Now this one's not a we all come together one. This one is a danger. Be careful when you're feeling this pain that you don't withdraw on your own and try to deal with this pain on your own. There's great danger in that. Because we are one heart, we don't need to break away when there's pain. That might be the implication, that might be the intention, that might be the desire that you have is to separate and have the pain on your own, but don't do that. This is a pain we we sometimes want to feel as one, but we feel it as one, not one over there and one over there, but we're supposed to feel them as one. The first kind of pain is detachment. I got two Bible accounts for you. Both in the ministry of Jesus, both focused mostly on his disciples, both in a boat, both in a storm, both freaking out. Two different lessons to learn, though. The first one is Matthew 14. Read with me 23 through 27. Matthew 14, 23, starting. When Jesus sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain separate from them to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. 
And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, they cried out with fear. And straightway Jesus said to them, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Here's your application from this. Here are your disciples. The Lord's disciples, they're on a boat alone. They're separated from their master. They're always with him. They're always around him. They're feeding people together. They're eating together, studying together. They're doing all these things together. But now on this occasion, he's over here and they're over there. They have detached themselves from him. Yes, I know it was deliberate in that case. I'm making an application. They're detached from him and a storm comes. What do they do? Do you think they handled it calmly? I bet you they didn't based on the next text we're going to look at. They are not the kinds of people to handle problems calmly. That's not the Lord's disciples, certainly not at this point in time. Instead, they see the Lord walking to them to calm them, to calm them. He's walking on the water, and they are again freaking out, and they think it's some ghost or spirit. And Jesus has to say, everybody just relax. I'm here. It's going to be okay. You, Christian, you will find yourself on the proverbial boat in the middle of the proverbial storm. You must ask yourself, am I with the master or am I not with the master? And if for some reason you're not with the master, look through the fog because I promise you he's walking to you. Whether or not you accept him to get on the boat with you and to calm you down, it's up to you. But I promise you he's walking to you. Even if he has to walk on the water itself to get to you, he's on his way to get to you. Do you think the intention of the Lord when he sent them away was to cause the storm to walk on them because I don't I think the Lord did what he said he wanted to do I want to go up here and pray and be left alone for a while you sail to the other side of the, the sea and so they did they got caught in a storm and the Lord had to stop his prayer and walk on the water to the disciples to calm them down you will sometimes find yourself in the middle of a storm your 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 first instinct may be to withdraw yourself to detach yourself you don't need to detach yourself you need to draw closer to one another and to the Lord who is walking toward you. Because if you don't, that pain of detachment in your heart will fester and grow and it will lead to you permanently separating yourself from the Lord. But there's another kind of storm that happened on a different boat with slightly different circumstances. This is not the pain of detachment. This is the pain of discouragement. Look at Mark and his account. Mark 4, 36-41. Different account, similar event. Mark 4, starting in verse 36. Again, the multitude is sent away, but this time they took Jesus, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with them these other little ships. And then there arose this great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now filling with water. And Jesus was in the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Well, that's a clue but they're not picking up on it. He's asleep on the pillow. So they have to go wake him up and say, Master, do you not care that we are going to die? I don't know what your translation says, but mine and the old King James's, care us not now that we perish, like how the song goes. Do you not care that we perish? Don't you care that we are obviously about to die? Well, don't you care that he's taking a nap right now and you just interrupted what was probably a great needed nap? Because he's clearly not freaking out. You're freaking out. You're in the middle of a crisis, but Jesus is calm as a cucumber. He doesn't have a problem at all. Everything is fine. That should be your tip. But instead of reflecting like the master, follow this now, instead of looking at Jesus and saying we should be more like that and calm through the storm, they woke up Jesus so that he could be more like them. You need to freak out with us because we're about to die. Don't you care with us that we're all going to die? So Jesus, if you're a parent, you can appreciate this. He's got to get up out of his nap 
and deal with his children who don't know how to handle a problem. So he's got to get up and yawn. And this time, he doesn't calm the disciples as he did in the previous account. This time he calms the storm. But it provides the same lesson. Whether he's calming you and letting the storm rage, if he's calming you, you don't care that the storm is raging. Or if he calms the storm, there's no more storm to worry about. Either way, the problem with a pain that comes to the heart is it might lead you to believe it's hopeless, it's doomed, there's no chance, we're, we're, we're all going to die, as the disciples said. My mentor, Carol Seitz, who I worked with for a number of years at Higdon, he has this saying that he would say, don't encourage the devil by being discouraged. Who do you think is the author of you being discouraged? And who is the author of encouragement? You think the devil wants a Christian brave? You think the devil wants a Christian resolute? You think the devil wants a Christian confident? No, he wants you weak. He wants you uncertain. He wants you doubting. He wants you discouraged. So there will come storms. And sometimes in those storms that Jesus will not be there, but he's walking to you, just be patient. Sometimes there'll be storms and he'll be right there. The last thing you need to do is think it's doomed. It's hopeless. Because if he's not freaking out, you don't need to freak out. Spoiler alert, he never once freaks out. He's always calm. And so if you need it, he'll share a little calmness with you. And he rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes the disciples. And he tells them, ye of little faith, why did you ever doubt? And then they're back on the other side of the sea. Can we have pain? Sharp pain that hurts our hearts? Yes. The danger is we pull away. The danger is we, we want to give up. But rather, we should all collectively come together and trust that Jesus will help us through it. I got one more thing. I got three kinds of traumas. There are two kinds of pains. Let's end the, ser the series with a remedy. There's one kind of remedy. Can you heal a heart, a physical heart that's wounded? Yes, there's medication you can do. There's surgeries you can have. There's things that can be done to heal a heart that's damaged. What about a congregational heart? A bunch of individual spiritual hearts. Can they be remedied? One word to remedy a heart. Determination. In other words, your heart, if it's wounded, traumatized, pained, diseased, anything else we've talked about before, your heart that is wounded, your first instinct may be to give up, to run away, to quit, to backbite, to turn on one another. Instead, the lesson is this. We must resolutely decide God can get us through it. We're not going to give up. We're going to power on ahead. And to illustrate that, look at a text that we often just water down to be, make sure you show up on Sunday, but it's a lot more than that. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, and notice verses 22 through 25. A text whose point is, we must all be together in this, or we will all fail. We must all hang together, as Benjamin Franklin said, or we will all hang separately. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 22. Let us draw, I want you again to notice, how many collective pronouns are here? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but rather exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here is a congregation. Here are brethren in Jerusalem that are being faced, they're faced by a terrible uh, persecution. They're, they're Jewish 
cohorts in the city are attacking them vigorously. And these are Jewish Christians who are feeling the, the desire to just go back to being Jews again, where the Jews aren't hurting us anymore, not realizing that very soon the Romans are going to start hurting the Jews. So you're going to be changing teams at the worst possible time. So he writes the book of Hebrews to say, you need to stay faithful to Christ and don't go back to the old way that is now expired. And all that comes to a head right here because in the church of Jerusalem, that one heart of that congregation was being split by division, was being pained by trauma. And they were, some of them, thinking about just separating from the others. And the writer has to say, the last thing you want to do is separate. The first thing you want to do is get closer together. Let us draw near together with full hearts of the assurance that God will see us through this storm. That's what he's talking about here. And let us, the King James says, provoke, which kind of we think of poking and prodding, but rather it is let us gently exhort. Let us, let us nudge toward something that is positive. What? Love and good works. Let us encourage one another not to shun coming together. Not to shun the one heart of that congregation. Not to detach oneself from it, but rather to come closer together and heal together. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't, I don't even want to ask, how was your 2022? Because some of us probably had a terrible 2022. But I can tell you from my experience that I would not have gotten through, I know it's only October, who knows what November will bring, but I could not have gotten for the past 10 months were it not for the knowledge that you people were praying for me and for my family and for other people who are having their own problems because there's not a soul in here that hasn't had something go on this year. And the knowledge that you loved us, that you were thinking about us, and I know that you were because you would tell us. You'd go out of your way to encourage us. And even though I don't need to be told, I don't need to be forced to come here every Lord's Day, it makes it so much more encouraging to walk through those doors and to see your smiling faces, to know that you have been thinking about me, that you have been praying for me. Now imagine somebody who is a weak Christian, wavering on the precipice of falling away. Imagine how encouraging it would be for some of you to see them and to say, I'm glad you're here. I hope that you'll come back. Do you need something? That's, those aren't words that just the preacher is supposed to say. Those are Christian words for Christian people looking out for one another because we all of us are sharing this one heart. And if somebody's hurting, the whole heart is hurting. And if somebody is traumatized, the whole heart is traumatized. And if somebody's in pain, the whole heart is in pain. So if somebody needs healing, we all need to help heal. We have spent the whole month talking about the heart. Oh, I didn't even tell you this verse, Hebrews 10. We spent the whole month talking about the heart. And we looked at the technical things, what blood does for us and how the heart works and all that. It, that's, it's all just window dressing. None of it matters. What matters is the idea that we belong to one spiritual body, that we beat as one, that we exist as one, that there could be no divisions among us, that we cannot separate and detach ourselves when things are going bad, but rather we must come together and hurt together so that we can heal together. That's the one determination at the heart of this book and really at the heart of the whole New Testament. Jesus died to make us one, one heart that beats as one. So now I turn it to you, invitation. How is your individual heart, which is just one 350th of this collective heart in this room, how is your individual heart? Is it hurting? Do I know it? Because if I don't, I need to know because I want to hurt with you. I want to share that hurt. Take some of the burden off of you. 
Is your heart rejoicing? I want to know that too. I want to share in the rejoicing. Double it with you. Are you struggling right now? Are you not a Christian at all? Are you just lost and alone, sitting in the darkness? I want to help you find the light. We, we want you to become part of this one heart. So if you have some need, we want you to make it known right now. We want you to believe the gospel and be baptized. We want you to live faithfully. And if you're not doing any of those things, we want to help you how. However we can. Right now as we stand and sing. And while I've got you on the phone, if you want to subscribe, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash Matthew-Martin 414. I've got uh, free audio files here and there that I'll release every now and then. But for the most part, I put everything behind a massive giant paywall where you have to pay upwards of I think it's 99 cents a month. So if you can if you can manage that a dollar a month, <clears throat> that's you know it's not easy. But if you want to whip out a buck, then you get hundreds of audio files of all of my sermons and classes and devotionals. So it's uh, anchor a n c h o r dot f m slash matthew m a t t h e w dash martin four one four and hit subscribe for a buck and you get all my hundreds and hundreds of audio files. All right. Thank you.